Good morning. Glad to see each of you here. I want to say welcome to each one that's present and everybody that may be dialing in or looking online. What a week. Um, I confess that I have struggled recently with the um, things that the country is going through. And I've been analyzing myself and wondering, am I struggling too much? Um, but it has been a great reminder to me that my Lord is Jesus Christ. And He is my King. It's His kingdom that we are to be living for. And He has not promised us smooth sailing or prosperity in this life. He has promised that He will never leave us nor forsake us. His children will always be provided for and taken care of. So I was thinking about, um, so I, I shared this message at Chapel over a month ago. And you guessed it. I'm reading from um, John chapter 15 about the vine and the branches. Um, thinking about the preeminence of Christ. And um, thinking about the times that we're in, um, I was thinking, you know, I could try to share something relevant or based off of the times we're going through and something to um, bring comfort to God's people in tumultuous times. But, um, you know, really, I think that this what we need. Um, when, the, when the world is falling apart and the enemy is raging, really the things that we need to be doing is what we should have been doing all along. And that is seeking the Lord daily and finding sustenance in Him. So this is my ugly little example. It's a little snipping from um, my grapevine. So a little story behind my grapevine. Um, walking through Walmart one day, that's an interesting way to start. So I saw these packages, beautiful little packages of grapevine starts. And I, I won them at $6.50 a piece or something like that. So I bought two of them. And... Um, both were seedless, one was Concord, seedless Concord, another was a sweet red grape. And I brought them home, I was all excited. But then I had a problem, where am I going to plant these things? Um, I like to plant out my landscaping. And I want to do something, you know, somewhat decorative and serviceable. I don't want to just throw them in the ground somewhere. So I tried to figure out what I want to do. I did some flipping online, and I decided I want to build a Pergola Arbor and have a swing, port swing, rather than thing, and have great times growing over that. would be so pretty. So I built this thing over the next couple of weeks. Meanwhile, the grapes are in the house getting longer and bigger, getting excited to get in the ground. Then I plant them and we got a freeze. And one of them perished, and the other made it. It's been a couple of years now, and, and then this year it bore grapes, but they were not sweet, and they were not sweet or red or concord. 
of with um, I guess with grafting if you if you graft and above heritage, that's the part that brings you the fruit that was advertised. And if the root stock comes, that was just a good hearty root that they like to graft to. So that is where this comes from. Well, at least we got a nice little video, a little bit from Walmart. So, um, turn your Bible to John chapter 15. I've asked, asked you to come up and read the scripture for us today. You can come up here, actually. So, in my understanding, the Word of God is all about Jesus, and it can be summed up like this. Genesis through Malachi is, He is coming, that's the theme. And Matthew through John, He is here, and Acts the Revelation, He is coming again. So, we as Christians, the sum total of our Christianity, of our faith, it's founded and rooted in Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the true vine. And I was thinking about that phrase, the true vine, it's specific from all the vines. And I started thinking about it, there is a lot of vines. You've got um, the trumpeter vine, the pumpkin vine, the... Um, your green beans grow on a vine. The string beans, the whole beans, um, there's poison ivy, and then there's Virginia creeper. There's hundreds of vines. And Jesus says, I am the true vine. And so, the first question that I feel that it needs to be settled is, are we even in the true vine? Are we in the right vine? Because there are many. In 
Romans 11, it talks about God grafting in. Um, we aren't born connected to the true God. Um, that comes by invitation only. Thankfully, the invitation is open to all. Jesus, through great personal sacrifice, has opened up a way, the only one, that we can become a part of His eternal kingdom. And really, it's the perfect form because we are created for a purpose. And that purpose, our created purpose, is to number one, bear fruit, and number two, bring glory. And before Christ, we were in this world, um, floundering around in life, trying to find a purpose, trying to find the right vine to attach ourselves to, and trying to bring glory to something, lots of different things, even ourselves, we were living and yet dead. Um, bringing glory to self is a very miserable lifestyle. It does not last. It's always um, defeating. Um, but when we receive the invitation to be grafted in to the true vine, Jesus Christ, we found that life-giving flow. As a result, we start, number one, producing fruit and giving glory to the one who saved us, giving glory to Christ. Now, in the scripture that Ashley read here, it is very clear the role of Jesus. He says, I am the true vine. He is life-giving source. The role of the Father is also clear. He says, my Father is the vine dresser or the husband. God, the Father, is the kind gardener with the clippers. My wife's favorite tool. Um, so there's I see two job roles, two um, things that the vine dresser is doing. Um, one is the stab removing of branches that are not producing fruit. Um, notice that they aren't necessarily just the dead branches because they wither. These branches were in the vine, but they were not producing fruit. They had leaves, but they were not producing fruit. So the one job of the vine dresser is to remove the unfruitful branches. So, and then his other job is to also snip the parts of the plant that are um, tender. So in our lives, God is going through our lives and he's tenderly removing things that are hindering us. And he's allowing difficulties to shape us into change into the image of his son. Um, I want to tell you that my wife has godly attributes um, because she is one who loves the role of the clippers. She um, goes around and trims those bushes and the um, rose bushes and other plants to get rid of the dead and the old. Um, don't get her started. I have piles of stuff to clean up in the yard. Um, so I have a godly wife. <laughs> um, so, one of the main evidences that 
you or I are in the correct mind inside the presence of the Father's loving, training, and um, steering in our lives, chopping out dead sticks, unprofitable growth. Um, take heart. You're going through this. Take heart. Bear it patiently. The Lord loves you as a son, as a daughter. So what are the, some reasons that a branch can become un, um, unfruitful or fruitless? That's a little bit of a scary thing to consider. Um, because it happens. There are those who are in the vibe that have to be removed. And there's a reason that that branch had to be removed. I'm looking at verse 5. I think we find an answer here. It says, He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. The reverse is also true. He who does not abide in me does not bear fruit. Without me, you can do nothing, Jesus says. So that abiding is so critical to the life of a believer. Jesus did not say, drink from the vine. Have you ever tried to take a drink from a grapevine? Well, I have. So when I was young, um, Michael and I would sometimes, in the spring, about March or April, you could snap off a um, segment here, and instantly there would form a drip, and it was water, it was pure, and you could taste the water. It did not quench the thirst. It wouldn't go running to a vine and break it and quench. Take a good drink and run away. Quench. It doesn't work like that. Um, it's much the same way in our Christian life. There's nothing so special about a Sunday morning service that you can just gulp down a nice amount of Christ and His fullness to run all week and be a thriving Christian. It does not work that way. It is impossible to bear fruit if we're intermittently connected to the vine. At work, we occasionally lose power, and this is south side electric for you. Middle of the day, blue sky, boom, lose power. Um, everything starts to wind down. All the processes stop in their tracks. And it might not be off for 15 minutes, and it comes back on. Well, then we have to go around and restart the air and restart this process and restart a computer here and and recalibrate something, and then we start going again. All in all, 30 minutes can pass easily so you're running again. Um, power should stay on here in the United States. There's no excuse again for the rest. But um, I'd like to um, look at verse 5 again and do a little bit of... Um, Adjusting. I am the true vine. Sorry, let me get this right. He who um, abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Or without. Okay, I was going to use. It interjects the power there. I'm not remembering how I did that. But basically, 
without the power, you will not produce. In the mill, without power, you do not produce lumber. And in our Christian life, without Jesus, we will not produce food. Um, intermittent power doesn't produce good, um, good um, production, and intermittent Jesus does not produce fruit. I don't know much about horticulture and grafting, so you just bear with me. Um, I may get this wrong, Wilson, correct me. But um, I think when they graft a plant, they have to cut it in a certain way. So let's say, I think it might be on an angle. They do an angle cut. So here's the original rootstock, and maybe this is their new piece, and they have to, this is the one that actually goes to fruit. Connect it with a certain, I think there's a powder involved, maybe. And you connect it there, and you tie it really tightly, and you apply wax, graphic wax. You have to keep it very clean from contaminants. Um, and the wax gives the lasting protection from insects and the elements. But a clean life is very important with grafting. And I'm thinking now about being grafted into Jesus Christ. A clean, uncorrupted life. Um, so, can you imagine if I would try to slice this with money in between? I don't think that would grow. Pretty sure that would just fade away and die. Or anything else. You can't have anything between you and Jesus Christ in your spot, in your grafting. You could name lists of potentials in your life. I could list potentials in my life. Things that could come in the way between me and my walk with the Lord. Between me and that source. The thing is about the vine and we've covered it a little bit. You can't just fill up quickly and walk away. You have to stay there. If you actually want to live and not thirst to death, because with the vine, you would have to keep it in your mouth constantly to keep your um, liquids up. And the same way, you cannot let anything come into our graph. So how is your graph looking this morning? Is there anything in the way of that life-giving Flow. We must not allow anything to come into the way because we know the end. Verse 6 it says, Anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out of the branch and is withered. They are gathered and burned to the fire and burned. So, to a floundering person who says, God, this isn't enough, um, maybe we need to look at your graph. Maybe there's something in the way of the life-giving flow. Because he promises to give all that we need for life and godliness. He has made provision. All we have to do is do our part and stay 
in the body. Verse 5, it says, bears much fruit. But what does fruit look like? What does spiritual fruit consist of? Sometimes people get confused between fruit and um, the gift, spiritual gift. All of the fruit and vegetables, but that's not the case. Some people get confused between tomatoes being a fruit and a vegetable, but talking about gift versus fruit. Um, spiritual gifts are things like, or there are things that God gives to us for the edification of the church, for the building up of the body of Christ. Gifts to be used, um, talents to be used, um, teaching, prophesying, preaching, speaking in tongues, generosity, encouragement, and you can list many things. Things that people are known for, God has blessed them with. Now, the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, Satan has come up with counterfeits for every good thing to Um And he's good at counterfeiting spiritual gifts. He has convinced groups of people that this person is a godly man because he can do these tricks or these gifts. Um, but what is really difficult for Satan to counterfeit is actual fruit. Because how do you counterfeit true love? How do you counterfeit true joy or peace? Patience? You can pretend you're patient for five minutes. I can't make it for. Um, but through patience, it's not flesh generated. We cannot come up with it ourselves. Um, gentleness, self control. How does, how does um, the flesh control the flesh when it wants what it wants? Spiritual fruit, which brings glory to the Father. It's the whole point. Verse 8 says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. So he's brought glory. The Father is glorified in his Son when we are taking on a body and a vine and bearing much fruit. So the funny thing is about fruit, well, they've done it with meat. They've made meat in a lab, so they say. And um, I heard it's extremely expensive. And um, somebody wrote an article the other day that um, this new discovery, scientific discovery, where you can take vegetation and grass and corn and those products and put them in this machine, and it turns into a substance very similar to meat, and it's automated now. You just put it in a field and it goes around and does its own clipping. And after um, a couple of years, you take it to a place where they process it. And um, it's a new discovery. No, it's not. It's a cow. But um, they have not been able to, in the lab, create fruit that I'm aware of. But um, 
You know, you would think with today's technology, they could come up with ingredients and automation and make an apple, and they could keep today from making an apple. To my knowledge, that's never happened. Um, it still has to come from a plant or a tree. You know, thinking about an orchard for a second here, a lot of work goes into an orchard that does not seem to have much to do with fruit. First, you um, find the right environment. Um, you maybe have to clear it, prepare the soil, plant young trees, you prune them, you irrigate them, you fertilize them, you spray them antifungal and insecticide, and you mow between the rows. And all of a sudden, they fill up one day and harvest the fruit. Well, who put the fruit there? They were tending to the roots and clipping things off, but somewhere the fruit came out. So it seems like a lot of work goes into the environment, and the fruit comes. It's much the same way in our Christian lives. If we are humbly abiding in the vine, one day the vine will fill up and be very pleased to find fruit. And we didn't have anything to do with it. Except all we were doing was working on our environment and staying in the Word and staying connected to Jesus. Many Many times, Christians don't even see their own fruit. And that's probably a good thing. When you're so focused on the Lord and on Jesus and His love and His sustenance, you don't notice your branch attending to own fruit. Now, the person that says, I'm kind of living a barren life, I would like to put on some fruit, and I'm going to be a quick fix to, to turn this around. Got the wrong focus. It's not about me having branches hanging down with fruit as much as it's about me being in Jesus. And that's my focus. I need to have a longing and a desire for my Lord. And fruit is the proof that I did that. When you look at the um, list of the fruit of the Spirit, it is really unattainable and out of reach. Um, in this flesh, I will add, it is so unattainable just like I mentioned before, I can't reach within the flesh to find unconditional love or patience, self-control. I can't look within to find those things. It's not there. I can look within and find excuses for the things I did, but I can't look within to find the power to overcome. But if you look at this list, it looks a lot like what is flowing through the vine of Jesus Christ. Those things are in Him. Jesus is the essence of love, and He had joy and He gives to it, and peace. He says, my peace I give to you. He's full of peace. Patience. Oh. He says, tremendous patience with his disciples. Um, goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Taking children on his mouth. Self-control. 
40 days in the desert without food, resisting Satan's temptations. My point is, Jesus has all these things. That's his being. It's what's flowing through. And what we're to do is to feast on him. Just like Jesus said, if you do not eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you cannot be my disciple. He wasn't talking physically, he's talking spiritually. The same thing. We need to be drinking from him on a daily, hourly basis, receiving and abiding. And then when we take in of him, no surprise, we'll start to look like him. We'll start to have fruit. So how do we abide? This is the practical. can be a little bit more challenging. Abiding definitely requires the first love kind of relationship with Jesus. First love kind of relationship. Verse 7, it says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, pause there. My words. My words. When I was pondering that, I was thinking about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the authority behind the written Word. He is the message. He is the truth sent forth from the Father. So Jesus is Word, and His Word, that truth, needs to abide in us. So, my faithfulness is that this book, the Bible, particularly His teachings and, and, and the Apostles' teachings, is life to be drinking in and understanding. Um, and coupled with praying in the Holy Spirit, asking God to reveal Himself to us in new and deeper ways. This is not, this will never be old hat. This scripture never turns old or irrelevant. My burden that brought me to this message is, um, in part, if Jesus is our only source of life and our only hope of eternity, is it obvious to others? If Jesus is our all, is it obvious to everybody around us? So I had the privilege of meeting an Amish fellow that visited the mill a while back, and um, friendly fellow, I believe he was a believer. But I asked him one question. I said, um, to your church at home in Pennsylvania, is Jesus the most important thing to me, or is he an important part of your church? And he wanted to say, I could tell you, he wanted to say he was the most, but then he was honest, you know, honestly, um, He's a very important part. Because we have a lot of um, traditions and good things we hold to, and we pass this on, and we believe in Jesus. But he had a hard time saying that Jesus is the highest and the 
greatest part of their church. So what do we say as a church? What do you say as an individual? Is he the highest? Is it clear to others that he is your highest? I am convicted when I ask these questions because I look back in the time between sharing this example and now, and there are times, no, I do not think that I have Jesus Christ. And I've been repenting of that, and I want to grow in my love for Him. Where do we stand? When people look at our church, do they think about, oh, that's the conservative midnight? Or do they think um, about good cooks? Or do they remember the late, great fall festival? <laughs> or do they say, those people really love Jesus? It's evident. Jesus truly is our all in all. He is our newness of life. He is our healer, our protector provider and captain of our eternity, and in Him we find joy and fulfillment and forgiveness of sins and peace. Sometimes I think we can get so caught up in the do's and don'ts and the all of you this and I couldn't do that about our lives, boring, dry experiences that do not bring life. Those things were not ever meant there's only one life giver, and it's in the one true line, Jesus Christ. Now, a challenge that I've challenged myself with, and I'm not doing good at this, but if Jesus is so great in my life, shouldn't I be witnessing about him? If the lost are impressed with the fruit in my life, if I actually have any, um, am I quick to point out the source? Hey, this is not me. It's because of the Lord Jesus. That's a real easy witness to not forget. If somebody says, oh, I really love your family, or I'm, the way you handle that situation, that was really good. Um, or something you shared, that was really good. You know what? It was the Lord. I don't have anything good of myself. It's divine. It's Jesus Christ. So I'm not doing really well at witnessing. And I was thinking about faith the other day. Faith is basically just believing what God says. Just believe. Have you seen it? I don't know. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. But the end result is what you're having faith in. But faith is believing what God says. Sometimes when you believe what God says and you act on that, then you see it. But many times you don't even see the end result. And we must live these things by faith. And so, this is um, a lab test. Here's the lab test, I guess. Is if, if I find, or if you do not find yourself quick to reach out or love on people or share the gospel with somebody, is it because you don't have a right belief in who Jesus is and how much he loves you or how much he loves me? How is he loved the lost? I think we 
not to create condemnation because there are times, there are times when it's right to keep your mouth shut. And um, one scripture I've camped on is when Paul was forbade to preach the gospel all the way across Asia, I think it was, until he got to Macedonia. Um, but I think we and myself could do much better about being unashamed and unafraid to just point people to Jesus. And maybe we're weak to do that because we have not been abiding in the body, but we've been corrupted in our connection. I'm going to um, turn quickly to Philippians chapter 2 for a couple of verses. Almost to the view. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You lift up Jesus, you're not still saving the Father. Because it just says right here, when Jesus is lifted up, that is glorifying the Father. We need to be a church that is unashamedly lifting up Jesus and his teachings. Um, Matthew 10, 32 to 33 says, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, I will also confess before my Father, who is in heaven, but he who, whoever denies me, him I will also deny before my Father, who is in heaven. Are you on a stage? Am I on a stage? John 12, 32 says, And I, if I am lifted up, will draw all men to myself. So let's look up Jesus this week. 